Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Take us in, Rod. Yeah, my name is Billy. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're here. It's a great day. So uh, let's stand up and worship the Lord. We've got a new song we're introducing to you today. Hope you really enjoy it. It goes like this. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb when I met him. So I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried. It was my tomb Till I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Mercy saved my soul now your freedom is all that I know the old Jesus when I met you you called my
God, thank you for uh, a special time of just honoring you. Um, on moments like uh, today, uh, God, I hope every day we kind of have moments where we are quiet with you and just honoring you and knowing that you're there. But other moments like today, we're just kind of coming out of our skin because we're just excited about what you've done for us. We're, we're, we're thankful and hopeful that there's a future and a plan and a purpose for our lives, as it says in your scriptures. And uh, with a day like today, with uh, baptism and visitors and uh, a full house, uh, a lot of excitement in the air. And thank you, Lord, that uh, you're doing something great here at Hope Vale. And you're moving and changing lives. So, God, I pray that um, you change our life today in this hour or so that we're together. So would you continue to speak, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say it together. Amen. God bless you, gang. Before you have a seat, say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks. You can go ahead, have a seat. want to welcome you to Hopevale this morning as we gather for worship in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here. Glad to have you. And as Billy said, if you're visiting with us today, want to extend a special welcome to you. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, I want you to know that next Sunday, November 12th, beginning at 1230, we're going to be offering our Get to Know Hopevale experience. Get to Know Hopevale is your opportunity, if you're newer to the church, to connect further with us and to find out more about who we are, what we believe, and how you fit. We also have lunch for you as part of that experience. If you want to sign up for that or just want to find out more, you can go to our Welcome Center out in the lobby. I also want to take this opportunity to give thanks to God for a group of 13 from Hopevale who just returned from Houston in um, working with Samaritan's Purse, a Christian relief organization, ministering to victims of Hurricane Harvey down there. We sent a group down there that was there for a little over a week. They did everything from just demolition, ripping out, you know, uh, rotted drywall to some renovation. Some of the poorest parts and, and, and heavily affected areas of Houston. And the reports that we got back from that team is that it truly is more blessed to give than receive. So we're just grateful for that team, grateful that we had an opportunity from Hopevale to play that part. So this is where it gets really good. I want to thank you as well because your generosity to our annual Christmas outreach offering helped make this happen. Every year, we extend an opportunity for you to give over and above your regular giving so that we can fund local and global projects like this to minister to people outside the four walls of our church. And your giving last year helped fund this trip. That's why we're extending the opportunity this year for you to give to the Christmas Outreach Offering, where we can continue local and global project like, projects like this. But also, as we mentioned last month, we're using this opportunity to help fund Hopevale Church's launch in Bay City in February of 2018. We want to use funds from the giving there as well to not only pray, pay for upfront costs, but we also want to be able to fund the first year of operations for them as well. Later on in the month, we'll give you an update on how, how giving is going toward that, but let me tell you, we're off to a great start. And again, just thankful, thankful, thankful for your generosity to the Lord to help ministry like this happen. So we're going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to continue to pray and just commit this act of worship of giving to the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, please don't feel like you have to give. You know, if you'd like to, great. But just as the plate goes by, let this be an opportunity to respond in worship to our God from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, we are here gathered to worship and to give praise to the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, the majestic name, the powerful name, the name that is above all other names. Jesus, we're gathered here because of you, because of the life and the love that you extend to everyone, those of us who are near and those who are far from you. Lord, with an open heart, extended arms, you say come, come and experience life. And so, God, thank you that we get to proclaim that through song. We get to proclaim that through um, generous, you know, thankful, responsive giving. We get to proclaim that later on through watching people profess their faith in Jesus Christ through believers' baptism. So thank you for this opportunity. We, 
we pray, God, that we would come today just with an openness to hear from you, to meet with you, and a willingness to let you change us from the inside out. God, you have done that work in so many of us here already, and we don't want to coast. We don't want to mail it in, but God, we want to continue to be open to go where you lead and to do what you call us to do. And so with that, we give, we say thank you, and we pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I uh, want to welcome those of you who are worshiping in the venue, our Hopevale Bay City Core. Great to have you guys with us today because what we're about to do here together is going to be powerful. We are going to witness a group of people here at Hopevale publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ through believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is God's gift to the church. It is this outward visible symbol of an inward spiritual reality of the work that God has done to raise us up to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's what's taking place here. The symbol, the proclamation that you're gonna see happen is a profession of faith that matches what God has already done in their hearts. We like to say here that baptism for the believer in Jesus Christ is a lot like wedding rings, right? You can give wedding rings to anyone, but it doesn't mean anything unless it's in the context of a covenant ceremony. In the same way, going into a tank of water doesn't mean anything, but in the context of a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, it means everything. It means public profession. It means identifying with Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his eternal life. And so that's what you're gonna see take place today with those who are being baptized. They're saying with their lives, I'm all in with Jesus. My life, my identity, my future, it is all with him, his saving work, his victorious resurrection. And so what a privilege it is for us to be able to share that with them. And we will in a little moment, but before we do, let's first get a little bit and hear more about their stories. So why don't you go ahead and take a look at the screens. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your scriptures that say there's a time in, in heaven where, uh, man, all heaven throws a huge party, and it's when a sinner comes in repentance to the Lord. And it's when somebody says, you know what, God, I want to live for you. I know that I don't live right every day, and I don't make all the best decisions, but with you, I think I can make better decisions. And, and God, there can be an eternity beyond better decisions of my every day that I could spend with you that is absolute perfection. So that's what we just witnessed, and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that water grave where people die to themselves, and when they come up, they're raised to new life, saying, this is my new life, and I'm born again. Thank you for that beautiful symbolism that you give us, Jesus, that you told us that you wanted us to do when your cousin, John the Baptist, baptized you. So God, we do our best in this life to try to live for you. We do our best in this life to say, God, I'm would you take the little I have and use it for you and for your glory and to help people know you? So God, today's a day where a lot of people are getting better. I pray we just get better today, God. I pray um, today's a moment um, that we just won't forget and we'll be able to look back and say, God, I remember when you spoke to me that day and all those people got baptized and I remember when you spoke into my life and said, I want you to get better, kid. So God, we ask your blessing on the rest of this service and Pastor Dan and the time of teaching that we'll have and that it would bless you and your kingdom in your name. Amen. Amen. One more uh, praise the Lord clap, huh? There's two things you learn in ministry. Never follow cute kids singing and never follow baptism because it's all just downhill from here, right? Hey, by the way, in case you were wondering, that was Pastor Ken uh, doing the baptizing early on, eight strong innings, and then that was Rob Quinn, who works with middle school students, who came in and baptized those last three students, and uh, just so glad that we can witness that together. If you are family, friends of those who are baptized, so glad that you were able to witness that and experience that together. You know, stories like these, by the way, are why we're going to Bay City. You know that, right? 
to take the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and expand it into the Great Lakes Bay region, right? This life-giving, hope-changing, right? Love-overflowing message that Jesus alone offers, right? We saw that live in the flesh take place with these who are baptized, and we want to see God write more and more stories like that. Amen? Yeah. I also love the fact that we get to share this together through this series that we're going in right now called Back to Basics. Back to Basics. This is a series about the essentials of Christianity and the importance of us trying to keep the main thing the main thing. And new life in Jesus Christ, forgiven life, abundant life, eternal life, that's as essential as it gets. Now, this past week, we were reminded of the the struggle and the challenge it is to keep Christianity basic with the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, when on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the front door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. This was his way to protest all the injustices and inconsistencies he saw with church doctrine, church teaching, church traditions, and how that conflicted with the clear teachings of Scripture. He was outraged that the church back then promoted a religion that led people to fear and bondage instead of the joy and the freedom that Jesus came to bring. I think of the words of Jesus himself in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Did you get that? Have it to the full, life to its fullest, right? Isn't that what we all want? And that's what Jesus came to bring. And so as Martin Luther and other reformers steered Christianity back to its scriptural roots, they handed us these five basics of the Protestant Reformation, or five solas taken from the Latin word sola, meaning only or alone. And these five simple statements of belief, they just cut through, right, all the religious clutter that churches and leaders of every generation have tried to add on top of the Christian faith. And so here are the five basics. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. And when you see that word alone, I want you to also think of the word enough. Faith is enough. Grace is enough. Solus Christus, Christ alone, and no one else, nothing else. And then soli deo gloria, God's glory alone. To God be the glory alone. See, listen, whether it's here at Hopevale or any other church you might attend, I want you to hold on to these five basics, all right? You get nothing else out of this series. Hold on to those five basics. Scripture, grace, faith, Christ. In God's glory alone. Because, you know, in the end, when it comes to churches, it doesn't matter whether you're big or small, traditional or contemporary. No, it's about the basics. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the love that he offers to everyone through simple belief in him. That's what we're celebrating. Now, last week, we looked at the second of these five basics, grace alone, sola gratia, grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. How our God saves or rescues us from his righteous wrath. That's the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. How he raises us up from spiritual death to eternal life when we wholly trust in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all this is ours through the free gift of God's grace. God's grace, his unconditional love, his unmerited favor, his everlasting kindness that he shows to us through his son Jesus. And like I said last week, The grace that God gives us is not a because of kind of grace, right? Not because of who we are and what we've done, but Scripture makes it clear. It's in spite of who we are and what we've done. Not earned, not deserved. That's why God's grace is so amazing. Now, the key passage that we looked at last week comes from the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes this to Christians of every era, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace is the gift of Jesus from God 
to us. Grace is the invitation for us to stop trying to save ourselves. Why? Because Jesus has already done that work for us. This is the beautiful truth of this passage. It's so simple, so direct, so clear, and it's so readily available to everyone, right? For it is by grace that you've been saved. Now, this passage also provides a great transition, an easy one, to talk about this third basic, right? The one we're going to look at today, faith alone. Sola fide, faith alone. We are saved through faith alone, okay? Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, as basic as that truth sounds, there, there is this genuine obstacle that all of us have to deal with when it comes to accepting this belief of faith alone. There is. So what is that obstacle? What gets in the way of you, me, everyone coming to grips with the idea that all we need is faith alone to experience God's salvation? Well, in the end, it really comes down to a choice. A choice between faith and works. Faith and works. In other words, does God accept us on the basis of the grace we receive? That's faith. Or does God accept us on the basis of the goodness we achieve? That's works. Faith works. Grace received, goodness achieved. And that distinction between those two has been a religious battleground for the last 2,000 years. It has, and yet it really shouldn't be, because when you look in the Bible, the answer is pretty clear, isn't it? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, verse 9. Let's take a look again. For it is by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, when we looked at this passage last week, we didn't spend much time on verse 9. But I want you to pay attention to what Paul says here, because I think he writes verse 9 to address the natural resistance we all have to this idea that God can only and will only accept us by grace through faith. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, I just want to make it clear that you cannot save yourself by your good works. You can't. Try as you may, you won't ever be good enough. You won't ever do quite enough to earn God's favor. See, I know deep down you think you can, so just get it out of your mind right now. That's verse 9. Not by works so that no one can boast, so that no one can take the credit for something they can't earn or didn't deserve. Now, let's be honest. It takes a lot of humility to accept something like this, right? It really does to be told that on your own, you're never going to be good enough for God, that you and I were never quite going to measure up it is offensive, and there's everything within us that wants to defend ourselves and explain, yeah, that might be true for other people, because they're screw-ups, but me, no, it can't apply to me, right? Well, God knows that we're resistant to that kind of truth. That's why he repeats it throughout the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul echoes this reality. Verse 16 for we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. Why? That we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. You see the contrast? By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one. Now the word justified here, or the word justification, simply means this. To be justified means you are righteous enough to be accepted by a holy God. You are righteous enough to be accepted by a holy God. And so how do you achieve that righteousness, that goodness? Again, painfully clear here that we're not justified by our works. We're not justified by living a good, honest, helpful life. It is not by works. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. And just to make sure we don't think we're somehow kind of the exception to the rule, Paul repeats this fact numerous times in different ways, including that definitive statement right there at the very end, because by the works of the law, who? No one. No one will be justified, including you, including me. No, God accepts us through our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, at this point, you still might be wondering why the Apostle Paul and others are so down on good works, right? I mean, shouldn't we do good things for other people? Shouldn't we do nice things, helpful things, as opposed to bad things and harmful things? Well, the short answer is yes. Of course we should. Of course we should live that way. But that's not the question here. See, the question isn't how should we live. No, the question is how do I go about gaining God's acceptance? How do I go about gaining God's acceptance? And when it comes to that question, we need to know that our good works are never going to get it done. Never. Now, just to make sure we're clear on this, let me give you three reasons why. 
And as we go through this list, I want you to honestly ask yourself the question, do any of these confront the value that I place on my own good works? Do any of these confront the value that I place on my own good works? My good, religious, moral, dutiful works. So let's take a look. Why are good works don't work? Here's the first reason. God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. No, his pass line fail for everyone is 100% perfection. So let me just give it to you straight. God, by far, is the toughest grader you're ever going to know, okay? He just is. Now, this one's hard for us to accept because it seems pretty unfair, seems incredibly unrealistic. After all, in every other area of our lives, passing and failing, winning and losing, hiring and firing, they're all based on our performance. They're all based on how we do relative to others. That's why we're always competing in life, right? That's why we're always comparing ourselves with others. Pass the test, make the team, win the leading role, get accepted into college, get the job, earn the promotion, where success means what? Beating your opponent, doing better than them. But that's not how God operates. No, God looks at each one of us separately. And he measures us out not against the performance of the crowd, but rather his perfect, righteous standard. Have we always upheld his moral law? Have we always been loving toward other people? Our attitudes, our actions, our beliefs, our behaviors, all of it counts, and every time we fail, the Bible says. It's a red check mark against our record before God. Every time. And you need to know that all it takes is just one red check mark to deserve the judgment of a holy and perfect and righteous God. Just one, that's all. That's why the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, writes this in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, right? Whoever's just crushing it in being good and doing good and living well, and yet stumbles at just one point, just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. All of it. As unfair as that sounds, that's God's grading scale. And guess what? He gets to make the rules because he's God. And needless to say, there's not a single person here could ever measure up to that, right? But, but that's why faith in Jesus changes everything. Why? Because he can and he did keep the whole law. All of it. Jesus, during his earthly life, followed God's law perfectly and completely. And that's why he is uniquely qualified to be our savior, because he died for our sins in our place on the cross as someone who did keep the law perfectly. God doesn't grade on a curve. No, his pass-fail line is 100% perfection. That's why our works don't work. Here's the second one. Our goodness can't cancel out our badness. Our goodness can't cancel out our badness. So think soup, not scales. Now, you might wondering, like, what do you mean by that? Think soup, not scales. Well, let me explain. Here's my point. See, I think a lot of us think that God operates with a scale of justice. You know the thing I'm talking about, right? It's got that arm in the middle, and there's a pan on one side, and there's a pan on the other. And I think we kind of have this idea that all the good things we've done in life, helpful things, religious things, moral things, we get to put on one side. And God's going to measure that by all the bad things, hurtful things, evil things, wrong things, self-serving things on the other side. And so we go about feeding the poor, clothing the homeless, helping the outcast, standing for justice, giving to chari charity, and we want to put all this to go on the good side of our account, right? And then deep down we hope and pray that when God settles everything at the end, you know, the good is going to weigh the sinful and selfish things we've done. But that's not how it works. See, not only does God not grade on a curve, but also even the smallest trace of selfishness contains the nicest things we do. The smallest trace of selfishness contains the nicest things we do. It's like making soup. Okay, here's the soup part, right? You're making soup. You can throw in the freshest, healthiest, most organic ingredients possible into the pot. Mix it all up, but all it takes, all it takes is just one small rancid piece of chicken, right? And it spoils the whole batch. Spoils one sip and you know right away, right? So even if you're going to argue about how everything else in that pot was good, no one's going to want to eat it. Why? No, it's ruined. It's spoiled. It's worthless. 
See, the same goes for our good works. Jesus himself said that we can donate, donate great amounts of money to worthy causes. But if we do that donation with self-serving motives, like wanting to be noticed by other people as a generous person, right? Then we've ruined it completely. Completely. No, our goodness can't cancel out our badness. That's another reason why our good works don't work. Here's the third reason. To add to our works is to subtract from Christ. To add to our works is to subtract from Christ. The reason I want to bring this third one up is because some people deep down believe in what I'd call a faith plus works salvation. Faith plus works salvation. And the reason I say believe is what I really mean is they operate. They live their life on that assumption. So they may say with their words that they believe that they are saved by faith alone, but their actions, their behaviors tell a different story. And so they keep on trying hard to do good works just to make sure God notices, just to make sure they'll do enough to get into heaven. And so they say their faith is in Jesus, but deep down they're also trusting in their works. You know, I bet some of that applies to people here today. Not all of you, but maybe some of you. You grew up with this religious upbringing that had such a strong emphasis on trying to keep God happy with your good works that it's hard to shake, right? It's just a part of who you are. But listen, the moment we rely even on the slightest bit of any of our own goodness, we're telling Jesus that he's not enough. He's not enough that his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, they're not enough. Know that somehow, someway, we got to add a little bit of our own, right? So we're going to throw in a little going to church. We're going to pray certain prayers just to make sure. We're going to give to the needy. We might even be baptized, right, just to make sure there's enough in our account. God, I'm throwing this into the mix just to be sure. But listen, even if we are 99% faith and just 1% works, we're still telling Jesus who he is and what he's done, that they're not enough. No, God doesn't grade on a curve. Our goodness can't cancel out our badness. And to add to our works is to subtract from Christ. All three of these reasons are why the basic of justification through faith alone in Jesus has to be the core of our relationship with God. It just has to be. And so because of this reality, we're all left with a choice. A choice. Do I try harder or do I trust completely? Do I try harder or do I trust completely? The people you saw baptized today made that shift, right? right? They saw the fork in the road between works and faith. And they said that I'm no longer going to try to be good enough in order to win God over. No, I'm going to trust completely in Jesus Christ. I'm going to put all my faith and hope in him, right? That's what it means to trust completely. And while I realize that there are no two stories in here that are alike, I think we all fall into one of three different groups of people when it comes to this whole idea of faith alone. Faith alone. So as I begin to wrap up, we're going to walk through these three groups and think about which one best describes you and how you should respond to faith alone in Jesus alone. So here's the first group of people. That faith alone is an encouragement for the hopeless. An encouragement for the hopeless. Who are the hopeless? The hopeless are those of you who know you've failed God. Right? You know you've messed up so badly, so often, that you've just given up trying to be good. Why? Because you know you can never do enough good and be good enough to erase what you've done in your past, right? Never, because after all, how could God ever possibly love someone who's done the things you have? That's what it is to be hopeless. And hopeless people can be depressed people. But hopeless people can also be some of the wildest, most fun-loving people you know, right? Because if you've already blown it with God and there's no coming back, why even bother trying to be good, right? To be hopeless is to be desperate, but I've got good news that Jesus Christ offers encouragement for the hopeless. Listen, you are never going to be good enough anyway, so let that desperation drive you to Jesus. Where your standing with him is no longer based on your substandard moral performance, but now you're trusting in Christ's perfect moral record. Right? Not performance, but perfection. Look at this promise for you and for everyone who places all their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, verse 2. I love this. The Apostle Paul writes this. 
Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been made right, we've been accepted by a holy God through faith, we have what? We have, say it with me, peace with God. Wow. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you get that peace? It says right here, by grace through faith. You know what I love about this passage? I love the security and the certainty that it offers us. And you see that in those two words, peace and stand. Peace and stand. See, when you go through life trying to please God through your good works, you never quite know if you've done enough, do you? And you never quite know if God's happy with you at the moment or if he's mad at you. And some of you have been riding this roller coaster for years, up one moment, down the next. And all that uncertainty, what does it give you? It gives you a lack of peace. Listen, when you stop trying harder and start trusting completely in Jesus, God gives you his peace. He places your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ so that you can always stand securely. Right? So no matter what you go through, even if you fail, even if you mess up, which we all will, you can still be confident in God's love, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness. Why? Because your faith is resting in Jesus Christ and him alone and no longer in your moral performance. Peace with God. Jesus Christ offers encouragement to the hopeless. Faith alone, second, is also, though, a challenge for the prideful. A challenge for the prideful. Let me tell you who the prideful are. The prideful are some of the most religious, moralistic people you ever meet. They are, and some churches are full of people like this. See, unlike the hopeless, who feel like they've got absolutely no shot at pleasing God by being good, the prideful think the opposite. Not only do they think they've got a shot at pleasing God, but they truly believe they passed the test. They do. They check off all the right boxes. They built their life around church traditions, around religious practices, and from the outside looking in, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive, and you know what? It's also awfully intimidating for those of us who know we're messed up, right? But here's the thing. The prideful are just as far from God as the hopeless are. You may not believe it, right? You see the hopeless. I mean, they're all messed up. Their life, they can't pull it together, right? Well, the prideful, boy, they're all buttoned up perfect and check off all the boxes, but from God's point of view, they're just as far from him. As a matter of fact, they might be even further away because they don't feel any need for grace. You know, when Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, that's the point he wants to make. That the obedient older son is just as lost as the rebellious younger son. Right? And in case we have any doubt about this, the apostle Peter clears it up for us, right? Very simple, very straightforward. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. He says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does God not give grace to proud people? Because they don't need it. They don't know their hands are too full of their good works. You know, they're lugging them around. They have no room left over to receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ because they're just carrying everything they've done. Right? No, grace is for the humble, the needy, the desperate, those who have finally stopped trying harder and have start trusted completely in Jesus Christ and him alone. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and faith alone. Maybe you've never taken up this label before, but if you are part of the prideful, you've got to humble yourself before God. you just got to. Because God doesn't grade on a curve. And your goodness is never going to cancel out your badness. So if you want to find favor in the eyes of God, if you want to experience peace in this life, if you want to experience heaven in the next, then you need to humble yourself before God and turn to Jesus Christ. God gives grace to the humble. So trust completely in Jesus Christ and his grace and grace alone because you will find that Jesus Christ is all that you need and that Jesus is always going to be more than enough for you. Always. And then finally, faith alone is a reminder for the thankful. A reminder for the thankful. Listen, if you are a Christian by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then your life should be overflowing with gratitude. 
it should be. Because, you know, gratitude is the mark that you've really got a hold of grace and that grace has really got a hold of you. Listen, I truly believe that Christians should be the most grateful people on this planet. We should be because of the grace of God. And so anyone who claims to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but your life is marked by things like grumbling, complaining, comparison, discontentment, then it means you've lost sight of grace. You've lost sight. Of, it means that the focus of your faith is off Jesus Christ and on to something else. Now, I say that not to wag my finger at you in shame, because I'm guilty of this all the time. I am. You know, there are things like envy and jealousy, greed and lust, anger and patience. They can so easily pull us away from living gratefully. And so some of us here today, we need a course correction, don't we? Maybe we were challenged by the testimonies of those being baptized, and, and we're thinking, yeah, that used to be me. Where did I get off track? Where did I grow stale? No, we need to get back to basic faith. We need to be thankful, grateful people, giving praise to God for everything that is ours because of Jesus. So wherever you find yourself today, whether you are hopeless, prideful, thankful, or should be thankful, Jesus Christ is there for all of us, arms wide open, inviting us to experience his life, his love, his forgiveness, his grace through wholehearted faith in him and him alone. Wherever you are, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. I guarantee you won't regret it because he's all you need. He's all you will ever need because life is truly found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for a reminder through baptism, through worship songs, through your word of what you have done, Jesus, for us. That grace is free and we just need to receive it through faith, through taking all our trust and no longer putting that trust on ourselves and our spotty, imperfect, up and down substandard moral performance, but to turn our eyes and to look to Christ's moral perfection, to his death on our behalf. And so, God, there are some here today who are hopeless. May today be the day, may today that some of you here cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, save me, I need to be saved. Some of the prideful here you need to come to that same realization. It's just coming from a different angle. Sobering to realize that God opposes the proud. But God also gives grace to the humble. And may today be the day that people here, Lord, open up their heart to grace through faith alone in Jesus. For the rest of us, renew our gratitude, renew our joy, renew our thanksgiving. Because Christians, recipients of your amazing grace, Lord, we should be the most grateful people on this planet. So revive us, renew us, and help us, empower us to live more gratefully with you, with others, with those far away, with those close, with those in our home, with those we work with, this friends, fellow church members, right? To live gratefully, praising God from whom all blessings flow. So Lord, hear our prayer. Receive our hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in a moment, we're going to respond with a song of worship. But before we do, I just want to ask those of you who are part of the baptism service, you're back in here and you are baptized today. We want you to stand because we want to celebrate you once again. So would you stand? <laughs> Let's join them in standing. Worship the Lord before we leave. This sing this song that we learned this morning. It's buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my time till I met you. 
together. I need a rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains bring with the weight of your glory. I need a shelter as an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you heard my What a great way to wrap up a beautiful and wonderful and joyous time of worship. Next week, we'll continue our Back to Basics series and talk about Christ alone. But as you go from here, may you go in the joy and the freedom that Jesus has for you. God bless you.